Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The, take, uh, the text today is taken from the reading in Philippians as we continue through the series, Complete Joy. You may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty Father, it truly is a joy to be brought into your presence today, to hear your word, to receive your gifts and the sacraments, and to be strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you, dear Father, that as we hear this message today, you would grant us your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. As a pastor, every week I'm preparing a sermon, and as I do, one of the questions I'm always concerning myself with is this. How will the congregation receive these verses? What is the congregation going to hear when these particular verses that we preach on today are proclaimed? Now, I tell you all the time, my job as a pastor is simply to kind of preach the word and get out of the way. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. You should not be leaving here thinking more about the pastor than you do about Jesus. I'll preach the word and get out of the way. Now, to be fair, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, oftentimes in spite of me. Nonetheless, I do find myself asking, how will the congregation hear certain verses from the Bible? And I always want to make sure that I'm proclaiming them faithfully, proclaiming them in the way I think they are intended to be heard. Because sometimes I think the Scriptures speak to us in one way, but sometimes the way we receive them is entirely different. They land in a different fashion. And I think this happens very often with the verses that we hear today from Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says these things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, here's how I think we're supposed to hear these verses. When, when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, he's inviting us to a party. He's calling us in to a celebration where you and I have been invited by God of the universe, the God of all of creation, to sing and praise and celebrate and rejoice for his son, Jesus Christ, has conquered sin, death, and the devil, and he is restoring creation, and he is making all things new, and you and I get to be a part of that. We are invited to join in with the rest of creation singing the praises of God. We get to sit in the choir with the angels praying, praising, and giving thanks to the Lord. Don't have any fear. Rejoice, for Jesus has called you to himself. That's how I think we're to hear these verses today. A delightful invitation into the eternal presence of God. But I don't know if that's always how they're presented. I've heard these verses preached in an entirely different fashion. Often I've heard uh, these verses given as advice to somebody who is going through a really difficult time. They're overwhelmed by life. Things just seem so dark and dreary, and, and they're a smoldering uh, wick or a bruised reed, as Jesus says. And someone comes alongside of them and says, you know, you are a Christian. You shouldn't be sad. Just rejoice. Just be happy because true Christians are really happy. Why don't you just pray and give your anxieties over to God? He'll make everything better for you. Just rejoice and be happy. It's kind of like when you're, uh, you're taking your kids to uh, a place they really don't want to go. 
like they're in the back seat and you're going to like, I don't know, where kids not like to go, like the opera or something like this. And they're on the way to the opera and you're pulling up and the kids are sour and grumpy and pouting and the father turns and they're whining in the back and the dad turns around and says something like, we are here from your mother so you will like it and you will have a good time and you will be happy. Like, wow, that's not effective. Suddenly the kids are all like, you're right, dad, let's do it. Opera, we're in. That's not how it works. We do this, rejoice in the Lord always. No. <laughs> C.S. Lewis one time says uh, that the, the quickest way uh, to lose joy is to pursue it. That is to say, if you're always trying to be joyful and force yourself to be joyful and arrive at a joyful place, you're never going to be joyful because you'll never find joy enough. Joy must come to you from the outside. Rejoicing comes as a gift. As soon as we turn rejoicing into a demand and require happiness out of people, what ends up happening is we go more frustrated, more sad, more confused. Sometimes it attacks our faith because we're like, maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe I should be rejoicing in these miserable circumstances. What's wrong with me? Making joy a demand results in the opposite of what's expected. So what are we to do today when St. Paul comes alongside of us and says, uh, this, he makes this demand, makes this command, rejoice. Well, first, I think we always need to make sure what we do with every Bible verse, we need to make sure we're understanding this verse in light of its context. This is not a mere Bible verse fortune cookie. It's not an inspirational quote that you put on your wall and floats around and you just hope that someone will see it and be happy because they hear the command to rejoice. These are words spoken in a very specific context to a very specific people. They're spoken by an apostle to the church. Here specifically, it's, it's by St. Paul himself to the congregation in Philippi. And what he's reminding this congregation of is this wonderful promise. They've been invited to the Feast of the King. They've been given a place in the heavenly city for all of eternity. That it's God's gracious will to give them Jesus Christ, to love them, and to save them. And Paul is showing them that the appropriate response to this is an invitation to joy. Rejoicing. Rejoicing is the inevitable result, the proper response to receiving the gifts of Jesus Christ. In fact, in this entire section of chapter 4 that we will look at today, all of the stuff we encounter here is result language. The call, in a minute we'll talk about more of the text, but we'll see a call for reconciliation uh, between two people in the congregation who are fighting. We'll hear Paul invite the entire congregation to a place of rejoicing. He'll encourage the church to pray, to bring their anxieties before God. And in all of this, Paul is saying to the Philippian congregation, and frankly, to all of us who are here, Paul is saying all of this is resulting from what has happened for you already in Christ Jesus. His work is always primary. His word is always primary. Our work and our words are always secondary. They're responses. It's result language. And this is very important for us to get into our heads because far too often we have this tendency to think something like this. Jesus will forgive me and love me if I do dot, 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 dot. It's not how it works. Jesus doesn't forgive you because of how forgiving you are. He doesn't love you because of how well you are, how good you are at rejoicing. Rather, he saves us, the scriptures tell us, 
while we are yet sinners. He addresses broken and distraught sinners with this heavenly decree that changes everything. Lord Jesus finds us in our sin and our rebellion and says, I have died for you, I love you, I forgive you all of your sins. And this is true for you. It's exactly what Jesus has done for you. But this word that comes to you from Jesus not only forgives you and saves you, it makes you a new person. It draws forth praise and thanksgiving. It gives you confidence that you can go before God in prayer. It makes your unwillingness to forgive others seem so trite. Paul is laying out for us today what happens in our lives when Jesus gets his ever-forgiving, nail-pierced hands on our stony hearts. He crushes those hearts and replaces them with hearts of flesh. And I love this passage because he gives us a real concrete example in the church in Philippi where this sort of thing needs to be taking place. He talks to the Philippians today about an argument that is going on between two of the women in the congregation. Their names are uh, Euodia and Syntyche or Syntyche. No one actually knows what the argument is about. But my guess is that they were fighting over how to pronounce each other's names because it's not that easy. (laughs) But Paul says this to them. I entreat Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now let's not move past that last line too quickly. Paul is saying, listen, saints in Philippi, your names are written in the book of life. If you were here today, he could look at all of us and say the same thing. When you were baptized, your name was written in the book of life. You have been put on the registry of heaven. There is a place prepared in eternal life for you. Your name is on the list. And this is a pretty jarring thing because for the amount of sins we have committed, the mountain of sin that exists in our lives, our names should be on another list. We should be registered in hell for all that we have thought, said, and done, let alone because of our own sinful nature. The Lord Jesus has come along, and he's removed the mountain of sin. He has blotted out the record that stood against you. He's nailed it to the cross, washing away all of your sins with his own blood, and he has taken your name, and he has put it on the invitation list for heaven, this heavenly party. But not even just the invitation list, it's greater than that. You're on the residential registry, by his grace alone, to live with him in his kingdom forever. And it's in this city of God where we find that grace and forgiveness is the air that we breathe. It's the air we breathe in through our ears, into our lungs, heals our hearts. But then we find that it's also the air that we breathe out. Forgiveness and grace are found on our lips as we speak those words of forgiveness to each other. The problem with Euodia and Syntyche is that they are breathing out the toxic air of bitterness. And so Paul says to the congregation today, let's all get together and let's work hard for these two women so that we can bring them to some form of reconciliation. Not so that they can earn forgiveness, but because they have been forgiven so much already. And why would we want to allow them to have that ripped away, suffocated out of them with this noxious air of bitterness? Let forgiveness rule here, for forgiveness does rule here from the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul's reminding them that our forgiveness for each other always results from Christ's forgiveness for us. Now, to be sure, our forgiveness for each other is always going to be weak. It's always going to falter and waver. But Christ's never does. His forgiveness for you never fails. And that is why it is so impactful and so effective upon us. Because Jesus, he never backs off his promise. He never ceases to give us the gifts of love and mercy. And because of this, we cannot help but rejoice. It reminds me, think of another example of, of a relationship with, with parents and kids. Like sometimes you'll have a kid who, who doesn't really want to be around the family and they have to come to dinner with the family, and they're grumpy, and they're pouty, and they're resolved. So like, I don't want to be with anyone in the family. I'm going to sit here, eat my food, and leave, and go back to my room and pout. And they just, they just want to be, be silent and left alone. And then they sit at the dinner table, and mom and dad come out and put right in front of them their favorite meal. And as they sit down and start to eat, they're warming up just a little bit. And then mom and dad start telling some of their favorite jokes and start bringing up some of their favorite topics. And suddenly you, you find that the child's grumpiness and poutiness has just kind of started to melt away. And they're participating in the conversation and they're receiving the meal and they're having just this, this delightful time all of a sudden, rejoicing in the love and the giving and the inclusion of the parents for this child in the family. And it gives cause for them to be confident at the table. And suddenly this child who has resolved to be grumpy and pouty can't seem to stop talking. They get very chatty. They begin to not only involve themselves in the conversation, but they start to bring points up in the conversation. And suddenly, if they're comfortable enough, they start talking about why they're grumpy, what's bothering them, what's weighing on them as the parents sit there and listen and receive and love and encourage. This is what happens for us, rejoicing in the presence of a God who just gives so many good gifts to us and invites us to his table and loves to have us in his presence. Also loves to hear our prayers. And when we see how gracious and merciful he is, when we see how giving he is, we grow in our confidence before him. And we begin to present to him our concerns, our frustrations, our bitterness and our anxieties, our fearful plans. And they become thanks-filled prayers and petitions to the God who promises never to turn your prayers away, but delights to hear them because he delights in you on account of Christ. He delights to answer your prayers even in ways that surpass your own understanding. And in that way, he's the one guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so you see this, this, this rejoicing, this praying, this forgiving. These are all results of God's work for you. So dear saints in Christ, rejoice. For the Lord God has forgiven all of your sins and he delights in you. Pray. For he promises to listen and answer according to his good and gracious will. And if you really want to start having some fun around here, start forgiving those who have wronged you. You'll start to get a sniff of the overwhelming grace that God has for you in the dying and rising of his son, Jesus Christ. So today, dear saints, rejoice. It's time to party. There's no need to back off that sort of call when we have the sort of God who delights in us and loves to have us in his presence. So again, I will say it to you today. Rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we recognize that we cannot have joy 
on our own. But it comes to us on account of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the gifts that he has won for us. Keep us ever mindful of your promises, Lord, and fill us with the joy that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that this joy would be contagious, and that others might come to know the love that you have for them through our lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.